compares with you. And just knowing you is like having spiritual dynamite in our lives. Something that can just blow away all the stuff that ever holds us back or keeps us down or defeats us. You give us that spirit of invincibility and joy and love and power. Oh God, help us to never underestimate you and your transformative love and transformative power. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. It's true, nothing compares, nothing compares to the love and the spiritual power that God gives each one of us. And I want to once again uh, thank the Gospel Ensemble. Two weeks ago, we went to New Orleans to try to bring a sense of healing and hope to a church in a city that is really, uh, really suffering and really hurting and in need of a spiritual lift. And the Gospel Ensemble, you rocked. <laughs> All right, today's scripture does not give us a very pretty picture of Jesus. He is exhausted and he's showing it. And he's not in a particularly compassionate mood. Someone comes to him for help and he does not initially offer it. In fact, he insults her, calls her a dog. Yeah, this is Jesus we're talking about here. Now, let me give you a little bit of the context here, what's going on in Jesus' life and why he's acting like this. Uh, He's coming through a very difficult time in his ministry. He has been on the go constantly. People are constantly pulling at him, wanting miracles, wanting food, wanting help, wanting something. And Jesus is at that place where he says, I just need a little time for me, need a little me time. (laughs) A little time to to, to restore, a little time to refresh, and furthermore, I'm dealing with grief. Um, His beloved John the Baptist had just been murdered. So Jesus is grieving, he's exhausted. On top of that, he is coming under tremendous attack by the religious authorities. They are constantly challenging him for his beliefs, the way he's going about things, the way he's breaking some of the ceremonial religious laws. So, I mean, he is going through an amazingly difficult time, and he wants to get away so badly that he actually goes to a place that is considered ceremonially unclean. Now, during that time, uh, part of the religious context was such that there were certain people and certain places that were unclean. So, Jesus purposely went to Tyre, which was an unclean village, knowing that the religious authorities wouldn't chase him down there because they wouldn't want to be ceremonially unclean. So Jesus knew he could at least get away from the religious authorities. So he's just trying to chill after dealing with his grief, with all the attacks on his character, with all the people, and what happens? One more person shows up. He's had it! And here comes one more person One more need. One more person pulling at his last nerve. But there is something about her that will not be put off. 
There is something about her that says, I don't care how frazzled you are, how tired you are, how fed up you are, I have a need and I'm going to persist until that need is met. And there's an encounter between Jesus and this woman that I think permanently changed his ministry. I think he saw something in her that changed him. Now, we don't even know her name. Scripture simply describes her as a Syrophoenician woman. She had three strikes against her. She was a Greek. At that time, the Greeks were at the very bottom of the totem pole from a cultural standpoint. She was a woman. Women were despised in that culture. And third, she had a demon-possessed daughter. And that's why she's there. She has watched her daughter suffer for years and years and years, and she can't watch her daughter suffer anymore. But you need to understand that in that culture, if a child was sick in some way, it's the parents who were blamed. The assumption was that somehow the parents had screwed up. They'd sinned somewhere along the line, and now the child's having to suffer for it. So, you know, she's Greek, she's a woman, and she's a bad mother. That's how she's viewed here. But she demands healing for her daughter. And she will not give up, and she'll do whatever it takes. Now, at this point, if I could have completely set this up the way I wanted to, I would have her come in right now and tell her story. I would love to interview her and hear what she has to say. And and I think the, the, the question I would ask her was, you know, how did you find it in yourself to keep trying even though you had tried for so long? What, what made you keep trying? How is it that you never were, were, were one to give up? I think I'd like to hear her answer to that because I know that many of us have stuff in our life that, that we've tried to overcome. Maybe an addiction. Maybe we're struggling with, with a serious health issue and it's, it's not only defeating us physically, but it's defeating us emotionally and spiritually. I know there's some folks that find themselves repeating the same sort of relationship patterns. You know, these one and two year things that blow up, you know, every once in one or two years and you meet somebody else and one or two years and that blows up and somebody else one or two years and that blows up and you just keep repeating this cycle and you're trying to figure out what's going on. I'd like to know what, what it was in her that had her keep trying. And I think if I asked her that question... I think the first thing she would say is, Pastor Dwayne, I kept trying because I really wanted my daughter to be healed. I really wanted it. You know, only a mother knows what it's like to have a child that suffers. And she'd probably say, Dwayne, I know that you don't know what it's like to be a mother. I know you can't get into my heart. But night after night, I have heard my daughter scream. I have heard her cry. I have seen her pain. And I was going to do whatever it took to see her healed because I really wanted it. I wanted it so badly I could taste it. And I would do whatever it would take because I'm a mother that that cares. Hmm. How quickly 
do we give up? How quickly do we say, this is just the way I am, deal with it. Get over it. Yeah, I'm addicted. You can, you can handle me beating you up every so often when I have too much to drink. That's what you signed up for when you got into this relationship with me. Deal with it. I think what was inside her was, her desire was greater than her doubt. And she had every reason to doubt. She had every reason to expect Jesus not even talk to her. She had every reason to doubt whether the stories about him healing were even true. But her desire and her determination were greater than her doubt. And she got herself to the place where she could see her daughter healed. She demanded it. She said, I'm tired of being sick and seeing my daughter hurt. And I'm going to stand up for healing. This is the question I think that she would turn around and ask me and ask us. I think she would say, resurrection, do you really want to be well? And if so, how badly do you want it? Do we want to be well? Do you want to get well? Is a shocking question. Of course I want to be well. Yet, then on closer reflection, I'm forced to ask, do I really want to get well? At times, I am so attached to my wounds, hurts, past, or addictions, that I prefer my issues over my health. Maybe my issues keep me from facing the real problems or my real self. My issues could be the crutch I have used to hide or circumvent deeper spiritual problems. Do I really want to get well? The question also shocks because it reminds me that I am a participant in my road to health. God does indeed bring miraculous, sudden, or slow healing. Yet it appears that God does not bring healing unless I desire to be whole. So I am reminded that I am asked to be a full participant in the healing process. I am asked to take some specific actions to open the door to healing. Do I want to be well? Yes. I am indeed invincible with God. God does have the ability to make me whole once again. In obedience, I will walk on the pathway to wholeness. All right. Her desire was greater than her doubt. I would then ask her, is there anything else that made you continue to work for this healing for your daughter? And I think she'd say, yeah. I, I had to get to a place in my life where I didn't care what anybody else thought. She'd say, you know, I was looked down on by the entire community. People blamed me for my daughter having a demon. And she'd probably say, Pastor Dwayne, you can't, I can't tell you how many times I just wanted to, to, to lock my door and close the blinds and, and draw the curtains and just hide. 
and, and just kind of sneak out every so often to, to get food and bring back in. But she said, you know, I can't tell you how ashamed it made me feel to be in the position I was in. But then she'd say, at some point, I had to stop worrying about everybody else and do what I know needed to be done. In other words, her desire was greater than her dot, than her doubt. And number two, her humility was greater than her ego. She didn't matter, didn't care about what other people were thinking. She didn't hide her need anymore. And it made me think about us. How we have these issues, these things in our lives, these imperfections, these struggles, and we don't want anybody else to know. So we show up at church. Looking good, smelling good, but we're hurting. This is a place where we can all come to get help. And yet it is so tempting to come to a healing place like this and hide our needs. And say, I'm here to pray for everybody else. (laughs) I'm here to support the rest of the community. Think about it this way. A hidden need never gets met. She was not hiding her hurt any longer. She boldly went to Jesus and said, I have a demon-possessed daughter that needs healing. And in fact, she was willing to get down on her knees and put herself in front of Jesus and ask for that healing. Now, she was taking an amazing risk here. She had no right to be in the presence of a man according to the cultural values of that time, much less a religious leader. In fact, both Jesus and this woman could have potentially been arrested And in fact, they could have both been executed for breaking through the cultural barriers and expectations of that time. It was that serious. But she said, my daughter's need is serious too. And if I have to crawl into this place and get down on my knees and beg, I am not too good for that. Her humility was greater than her ego. And she was no longer going to let other people stand in the way of the healing that she knew her daughter deserved. So write it down. Her desire was greater than her doubt. Her humility was greater than her ego. And I'd say, is there one more thing that that really kept you going for this healing? And I think at that point she'd say, you know, I can't quite put my finger on it, but there was something inside of me that told me to keep going. There was something inside of me that said, there must be a God somewhere who is bigger than this problem. I think she looked inside herself and said, I am going to go for this no matter what it costs. She she looked inside herself and she said, my daughter doesn't have to be this way and I don't have to be this way and I don't have to be afraid anymore. So she stepped out in trust when she looked inside her own heart. She knew there was something there. I think all of us are stronger than we realize. Somehow we've been convinced that we're weak. And sometimes we even look at scripture this way. We look at the story of the Good Samaritan and we see ourselves as the one laying on the road. 
We look at the story of the Good Samaritan and we see ourselves as the selfish person walking by. Why can't we see ourselves as that person going there and binding up the wounds? Why can't we see ourselves as healers? Maybe because we need to get healed first. But, but how about looking at Scripture through a, a place of strength? The prodigal son, we, we see ourselves as the, as the son that, that ran away. The child that needs help. We, we, we see ourselves in all these weak ways. I think she looked inside herself and she found strength there. And I think there's a strength inside of us that we don't even realize is there. So that's the third thing here. Her, her, her desire was greater than her doubt. Her humility was greater than her ego. And number three, her, her heart was greater than her wounds. Yeah, she was wounded. She was hurting. But she had a heart that God had created that was even stronger. And it's true for us. Our hearts are greater than our wounds. The choice you face constantly is whether you are taking your hurts to your head or to your heart. In your head, you can analyze them and find their causes and their consequences. Yet, no final healing is likely to come from that source. You need to let your wounds go down into your heart. Then you can live them through and discover that they will not destroy you. Your heart is greater than your wounds. Think of each wound as you would of a child who has been hurt by a friend. As long as that child is ranting and raving, trying to get back at the friend, one wound leads to another. But when the child can experience the consoling embrace of a parent, she or he can live through the pain, return to the friend, forgive, and build up a new relationship. Be gentle with yourself and let your heart be your loving parent as, as you live your wounds through. Your heart is greater than your wounds. What we need is right inside. God has given us hearts that are connected to God's own heart. Our hope is there. Our healing is there. I love that song, Something Inside So Strong. And it's true. When we get still and listen, put our egos aside, put our doubts aside, there is an inner strength that each one of us has been gifted with. If we just stop long enough to touch that presence, that incredible power of Christ. When I think of the story of this wonderful woman and what kept her going and what eventually got her daughter healed, I think of a town in Nicaragua that did not have a water supply. They were having to have their water constantly shipped in. But they knew that they had to have a better way, and so they brought in an expert who, sure enough, was able to discover that there was water underneath the surface. All they had to do was dig down to get it. This is a true story. They started digging down. And very quickly, they hit rock. No water, they hit rock. So they got all the tools they could. They began to, to work like crazy to dig down. And they dug and they dug and they dug, and it was like no water. 
In fact, they were only making progress of about eight inches a day in digging down. And at some point, they had dug down 45 feet. No water. They did this with mosquitoes, bad weather. At that point, they turned to the government for help, and they were able to borrow a drill rig. They started digging down through this rock, and they were making a little bit of progress, but still, they hit no water. Then the drill bit was uh, bent. They borrowed another one, digging down, digging down. The sides began to cave in on them. They had to pull all that out of the way. Then they broke that drill bit, so they borrowed another one. This is their third attempt now. They're digging down, they're digging down. They're still hitting no water. They're just hitting rock, 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 rock. And they damage that drill bit. They've now gone through their hand tools, drill bits. They've hit rock. They're discouraged, but they give it a fourth attempt. And once again, they hit rock. But they knew there was water underneath the rock. So they continued to work their way through the rock. And eventually, they hit water. And the needs of the community were supplied. The woman in our story, she hit a lot of rock before she hit her healing. And a lot of us have been working for healing, working on our lives, and hitting that rock. The hope for us is when our desire is greater than our doubt, when our humility is greater than our ego, and when our hearts are greater than our wounds, we will break through the rock and we will gain the healing that is rightfully ours. Amen and amen.